Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. 1 John is normally one of the first books of the Bible that young Christians are encouraged to read through, and for good reason. It's simple, it's straightforward, and yet a careful study of this book will continue to yield spiritual treasure year after year as it is studied by God's people. Whether you've been saved 40 years or 40 days, 1 John has something for you to consider and to be reminded of. We are excited to be starting a brand new series for our small groups through this important book, and we here on the pastoral staff are going to be working through it with you. I am Pastor Ben Hicks, and joining me today is the ever-illustrious Matt Barfield. Hey there. And Pastor Brandon. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for that glowing yes, intro. Yes, yeah, well, I originally put the epic Pastor Brandon, but it just didn't feel right. <clears throat> All right. Um, well, on that note, we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, this lesson is lesson one introduction, and so we don't necessarily read through, uh, you know, a series of verses, but just kind of get a, try and get a big picture view of the book of First John. Um, so as, as we start, we, we talked about the fact that this is a book, and we mentioned this last week, so I won't park on it too long, but this is a book that's written really to the first ever second and third generation Christians. Um, we're going with about 60 years after Jesus' death. John, the last, probably the last of the apostles at this point, is writing uh, these books, and after 60 years of meditating and thinking about and studying these things, he's now writing to uh, believers whose parents and grandparents were the first ever Christians. And so uh, as we think through that, what are some of the enemies, uh, just kind of to review what we talked about last time, what are some of the enemies that are faced uh, by the church today, especially by the second and third generation Christians? I think apathy is one of them. Uh, it You kind of lose the contrast of old man, new man, uh, when you grow up in a Christian culture or grow up in a Christian home. So uh, that's one of the things I see relatively often with, with teenagers especially. Um, so that, that's one that jumps off the page to me. I think something that happens even in places where I've been that have been persecuted areas, um, people of the first generation are very forward-thinking. They're great commission-oriented because mm-hmm. there's nobody. There's nothing, right? So you, you got to get started somewhere. That second generation now has something to maintain, and so the church switches into a into a maintenance mode, mm. and the the main thing is to not lose what you've already got, um, and and there's obviously some you know reason for that, and it's not necessarily bad. You want to be reckless, but at the same time, um, you know our our security is in heaven. Our security is in uh, the fact that we're born again, we're born from above, and we have that eternal life. And so we're, we need to be people who are bold spiritually. You see that a lot in first generation. You kind of see that slack a little bit in second generation, which is why I think in part you have in, in the book of Revelation, you have people, you know, Lord Jesus saying, I have someone against you. You left your first love. You know, you, you do all this stuff, but you're kind of not on fire anymore. So there's that there's that lack of, of forward-thinking, aggressive, um, you know, moving into Great Commission work because you're maintaining what you have. Hmm. And another one that popped into my mind, I was sitting here thinking and even looking at the themes of First John, uh, there's warnings against false false teaching. And I think that potentially uh, there's a susceptibility to false teaching because mm-hmm. we love novel and we, yeah, we love new. And so if you've grown up and you've, for, you, you've learned it all intellectually and you're like, I've heard this before, I've heard this before, then something new comes, you're like, oh, that's new. That's interesting. I'm going to yeah. chase that a little bit. Um, and John is bringing them back to the basics. Hey, remember, don't leave these. Here's yeah. all these false doctrines that are very alluring. Um, and I, I think susceptibility to that, those new ideas could be an issue as well. Well, and these new ideas, they normally promise some kind of easy fix for a problem that's yeah. just, you know, the Christian life is, is a life of joy. It should be a life of peace, but it's not easy. And 
there's a lot of mundane and there's um, problems and in some ways they're never going away because we're people and we have problems and we're not going away. And so, you know, you have a false teacher that comes along and promises a quick fix or an easy solution. And, um, I, you know, that can be really tempting when you're that second gen and you're like, oh, maybe that'll work. Maybe that'll fix this thing. Yeah. Um, well, the first gen is, is also they're, they're responding just to more clearly directly to the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're, they're looking to that. Now the second gen has that and people to look at, people, mm-hmm. people that are going to make mistakes, people that are going to have problems. Right. Uh, that was the first gen church, right? So now, you know, we look at this and we say, oh, man, they could have listened to the Apostle John. Well, they knew John. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, John, <laughs> you know, he does X, Y, Z. He's like this. He has his temperament or whatever. And so there's, there's that ability that second gen has, that opportunity the second gen has to, to not be as convicted about the, the reality of things because they're distracted by the personalities that have brought them the yeah. truth. I mean, you read Paul and you're like, man, it would have been so cool to be in a church that Paul started. And then you read Paul's letters and like half the people in his churches don't even like him. <laughs> and that, that's an exaggeration. But you read 1 Corinthians, there's all these factions that are forming. Sure. And if you get in there, some people, you know, they're picking their favorites. And, and yeah, th- there's always the, that problem of, of personality and... I don't know if I if I like this person or they rub me the wrong way yeah. or these other. And I don't want to go to the answer different. too fast, but I do love the idea that that's why we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the glory would be of Him and not of us. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the fact that this keeps working for all these thousands of years is because God's interjecting Himself into this thing, and that's what First John those first few verses are talking about. Yeah. As we continue on through the series, we um, or through the lesson, we talk about the outline of First John. First John is a book that's notor- notoriously hard to outline, and I was actually uh, I was kind of skimming a, a lengthy paper that someone had written on this topic, and I thought they made a, a good point that really First John it makes more sense as like a series of short sermonettes that have been strung together than like one sustained argument all the way through. Um, this doesn't mean that John's disorganized. Uh, but his organization doesn't follow, you know, one thesis with carefully designed set of arguments that build one on top of the other. It's more like a, a string of pearls, if you will, where there's this little sermon, uh, this little thought and idea, and then it's connected to this next one. And he has these different themes, and he puts them together in different combinations, and he makes different points and comes at them from different angles. And so uh, there's really, you know, the the illustration of a of a cycle has been used before that he keeps cycling back to these themes. And I I think of that doesn't mean again that things aren't illogical, uh, but it does mean, or it doesn't mean that things are illogical. There okay. Go. Go. All right. Everyone's kind of looking at me like, what? Yeah, um, line of the negatives there. Doesn't mean that things are illogical. It just means that the logic works differently than like a book of Romans would work. And I, I don't know. I found that to be helpful. Sure. Um, as we look at the background, uh, it's always fun to try and do a little Sherlock Holmes type detective work and figure out, okay, what was going on? And normally we do this through something that we call mirror reading and mirror reading means, okay, we're listening to half of a phone conversation and we're trying to figure out what the whole conversation's about. So um, we are reading what John said and as we read what John is saying, we're trying to figure out who's he responding to, what are the situations, and uh, we're looking for clues and hints. And so as we look at the book of First John and compare it with Second and Third John, assuming that they were all written together, which I am, the author in Second John is concerned about the problem of showing hospitality to heretics. So you can imagine, you know, you're, you're putting up Christians, you're putting up believers, and all of a sudden you have this person who comes into town, and they are claiming that they're a follower of Jesus, they're a teacher, 
And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense here. You can stay in my house. And then you start listening to what they teach, and you're like, I don't think John would agree with that. But, I mean, you say you're a Christian. Am I going to, like, leave you out in the cold? And John says, yes, you leave them out in the cold because if they're teaching a false doctrine and you put them up in your home, you are participating in them with them in their evil deeds. Uh, third John then deals with a different problem. It deals with an arrogant man named Diotrephes who's refusing to support genuine traveling preachers. So there seems to be uh, these two issues, the issue of false teaching and the issue of division in the body um, that seem to be two of the major themes that we see uh, in Second and Third John, but also throughout First John. So let me ask a few questions about that. First of all, which of these two dangers, uh, false teaching and division in the body, do you think our church today is more susceptible to? And then in what ways might false teaching uh, from within our congregation manifest itself today? And in what ways might division in the body manifest itself today? Is there really an either or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's back and forth. Um, you know, I think that was that's something I see. It kind of you, you win on one battle, and then the next time they hit the other area, mm. and so I think it kind of goes back and forth, alternates maybe uh, between these two things. So that hey, I'm really good at figuring out false doctrine. Oh yeah, how are you in division in the church? Well, <laughs> okay, not as good. <laughs> Sometimes false doctrine creates disunity. And yeah, I think one of the ways we're susceptible in our. Um, Modern church is the internet. Uh, there, mm. there are so many thoughts out there, so many ideas. You don't even necessarily have to go to someone's conference to hear potential heresy or to listen to what they're saying. You just go on YouTube, and then there's a suggested video that has a similar topic but different speaker, and it, it could infiltrate our thinking real quickly and then start to show up in Sunday school classes and then cause division in the church. And um, I think the internet is a huge avenue where that does enter our modern churches. Yeah, you've got to be so careful uh, what you're watching and listening and, and putting into your mind and, um, you know, always be be running things through that grid of, okay, does this line up with God's Word? And, you know, asking asking your pastor, asking a trusted spiritual mentor, you know, somebody who's older and more mature than you. I think this is one of the areas where we go wrong, too, is we think, well, I can, I can figure it out on my own. And, um, you know, Ephesians 4 doesn't say that. Ephesians 4 says that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, um, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints. And so, this, you, you know, especially uh, when you're going to teachers that are teaching things, if your baloney detector is going off, you're like, ah, I don't know, this is right. You know, that's probably a good point to be pulling in someone that you know that, that's a trusted advisor that can help you walk through some of these things and explain what's going on and how either, yeah, that's a helpful perspective or, ooh, you got to be careful because what you don't realize is that this leads to mm -hmm. um, so on and so forth. Yeah, I had something happen like that when I was in college. I traveled for, with a singing ensemble, traveling ensemble for a college. And uh, one, one church we went to, they split up the guys, half stayed at one house, half stayed at the pastor's house. And I stayed at the pastor's house and we're talking and, and I didn't know much about this place, but in the topic of course of conversation for a long time that night he convinced me that i didn't need to read the book of hebrews that it wasn't for me as a christian and uh -huh. and so uh -huh. i was like i mean and he's drawing out stuff and i'm like oh like, oh wow i'm like so excited and uh so i the next morning we got to all together as an ensemble and i asked the um i asked the other guys i said hey did you guys talk to you at all about what the church teaches and some of the things that i never heard of before and the one guy who was a bible major he went oh yeah he talked to us I said, really? I said, did he tell you about all these, you know, this, the book of Hebrews? We shouldn't read that. It's not for us. And he goes, yeah, but then he offered us a beer and he did some other things. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh. 
Okay. And it was like, poof, it just got a little perspective on, okay, you can be really cool on this thing, but miss some other really obvious things. And, uh, you know, anyway, it just kind of helped disillusion me of that, but it really was good to get more perspective. That's what kind of yeah. where I'm going with this. What's the issue is you haven't seen everything. So mm-hmm. finds and nobody has, but we can help each other with the perspective that God gives us first from his word. And then from the experiences he guides us through. Well, and from a pastoral perspective, like ideas have consequences, and I think a lot of times you hear a small sliver of a new teaching that sounds really exciting and really cool and, mm-hmm. and it's something you want to like dive into. And then you're like, okay, stop, pause. Let's take a big picture look, you know, and if you really want to get go deep, you say, let's, let's look throughout history and see if this has been tried out before or right. something similar to this. Let's look at the trends of back and forth between rationalism and pietism or, or the different heresies that have been condemned for various reasons. Or let's even just look at other people in more recent times who've bought into this. Where does this end up leading? Where does this end up going? Sure. And sometimes in the moment, it's like, oh, but this sounds really, really cool. And, it, and I can understand that. But the question is, where does this lead? Does this lead to greater holiness? Does this lead to a, a stronger pursuit of Christ? Does this lead to a generational impact on Christianity? What are the results of this? And, you know, when you first hear it and it sounds really good, you you don't necessarily think through all of those things. Um, so, yeah, it's important to get some for ourselves individually to get some real solid guidelines to ha- say, okay, th- this I know. <laughs> I'm sticking with this, right? I understand the Bible is the word of God. It's an error. It's inspired. I'm not going to go somewhere that's, that's against that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so we have these ba- very basic guidelines in our heads. That helps us individually, but... When it comes to these kinds of alluring or interesting ideas or novel ideas, um, you know, it is helpful to get perspective from godly leaders that we trust. And one of the themes um, that John hits on again and again in First John is that these people have arisen up from within you. Like, mm-hmm. they are from the church. And that doesn't necessarily mean Colonial Hills Baptist Church, although it could mean that. But, you know, well, hey, they're a Christian. Yeah. They're a believer. Yeah. They were a pastor for years and years. Look at their church. It seems to be doing fine. And that's where you got to say, whoa, whoa, time out. And, and you, you want to be careful because you don't want to be paranoid and you don't want to go on witch hunts. But you have to realize that Christ told us, John told us, that Paul told us that grievous wolves will arise from within us. Like, we have, you, you can't give someone a free pass just because they're a quote Christian. You, you just, you can't do it. So, in what ways might division in the body manifest itself today? Oh, boy. <laughs> you could just pick one or two. <laughs> yeah. I don't want any of them. <laughs> I mean, it, in my experience, it typically has it starts small. There's a, a personal fence, and then it grows, and then um, people pick sides, and um, there's there's all kinds of different root causes of that, and and arguments, and typically it, it boils down to pride. <laughs> um, always it points to pride. Where there, where's where there is contention, there's always pride. Says the Book of Proverbs. Um, so. Uh, interpersonal relationships tend to to grow. Uh, you know, there's splits between churches where things that that um, you know shouldn't be causing division cause division, or where, as you said, pride gets in there institutionally. Maybe not even just personally. Maybe yeah. on a bigger level. And uh, you know, that's that's not what we need to be doing. I'm trying to look this up, I forget what it is. The uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys, probably oh. one of the most famous examples of a. <laughs> of a feud, of a, of a church feud. Split? Yeah. Well, not church. necessarily a church, <laughs> but I think, I think too they, I can't remember now. I'm trying to look it up. I can't find it. That it started over something stupid like who owned a pig or someone stole a pig or something like that. Uh, and, um, later, you know, you have all of these people who died as a result. 
Um, and sometimes it, it is interesting. It just it starts with with something stupid and small, um, and and the reason that it does that is because uh, we're selfish and proud, mm-hmm. and uh, it really comes down to to our sin. Sometimes if you take a step back and you say, "Why are we actually fighting about this?" It's a little bit embarrassing. Yeah, and but, I think a phrase that comes up often in divisions in the church or between brothers and sisters in Christ is, "Well, a Christian shouldn't be behaving that way," and <laughs> that's an accusation that gets thrown around a lot. And while it, it's usually probably true, um, we've got to be gracious and work through it and talk about reconciliation as well. And uh, I think that comes back to some of the blurred lines that maybe second and third generation issue, where second and third generation issues result uh, surface, excuse me, um, where, hey, this is how a Christian should be, and the contrast is not as, as stark as it was from unsaved to saved. Only by pride cometh contention. Yep. So that's, um, <laughs> it does boil down to that. Yeah. Um, as we continue uh, going on uh, through this series, uh, the next thing that we did uh, is in the lesson, we just looked at different themes. And so we'll take uh, just a few minutes and kind of look through some of these themes. And this can be a really helpful way to study the Bible. Rather than going verse by verse, you kind of go idea by idea. And you read through a book and you say, okay, what are some of the big ideas? And maybe make a list. And then you take a, a certain idea and you see what the author has to say about that. So um, in John, I picked out three um, dichotomies, or you could say contrasts or opposites. Maybe four. Sit four. I see four. You see four. Yeah, you have four different four dichotomies. Yeah. Yes, contrast. Yeah. Let's well, that's fight about it. That's yeah. one thing. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll take you on. No. Um, <laughs> oh, I see. What you're then doing. you also have the believer's enemies. Okay. And uh, then the, uh, the idea of certain knowledge. So these are some of the major ideas. And again, as you read through. You're going to find words that are going to key you off to, to some of these. So these dichotomies or these contrasts, uh, we see, for example, love and hatred, truth and lies, life and death, light and darkness. Um, and so let me just ask you guys, why do you think that John uses so many different contrasts throughout the book? He, and he uses, these, uh, he uses these in the book of John. By, by uses these, I mean Christ teaches, Christ's teaching uh, in the book of John really heavily emphasizes these dichotomies and John picks him up in his letter. Why do you think Christ taught this way, and why do you think John uh, picked up on that for his letter? Well, it's really, you know, you see the Gospel of John. These themes are there. It, it is what stands out about Christ's life. Um, it is, it's how he taught. You know, he said, if, if, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to hate father and mother. Right? He's, he pulls that out, right? He talks about, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Gospel of John has a lot of these kinds of ideas, and I think, uh, it's what stands out. It's 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 really it's really refreshing to be able to say I know I know where the line is. I know what this is, um, and so to be able to see something clearly, uh, you need these kinds of dichotomies. Well, I think as you look at them too, they're they're pretty much they're mutually exclusive. Where mm-hmm. there's love, there can't be hatred. Hatred. Where there's truth, there can't be lies. And sometimes we like to say, well, eh, there's a little bit of truth in that, or there's yeah. just a little bit of deception in that. And John just like, no, that that's a lie. Um, and where there's light, there's, there's not darkness where there's life, there's, there's not death. And I think with his audience in mind, he's just drawing those clear distinctions and like, you can't, you can't blur these cause these are mutually exclusive to each other. Yeah. And if you say you love the father, but you love the world, love of the father's not in you. Well, and it's the, you know, obviously under the, under Satan's reign, everything gets muddled, right? He, yeah. he starts lying from the beginning. So now we're all, we're all messed up about all these things. And it's the life of Christ that makes the, the clarity of these dichotomies possible. It's because Jesus is life 
abundant, gives mm-hmm. it abundantly. It's because he is the truth. It's because he is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't comprehend it. Like it's because he's that, that we can make these kinds of statements now mm-hmm. that really, if, if you say to somebody, I know 100% what's right and what's wrong, what's light and what's darkness, you kind of sound like a nut, mm-hmm. right? Because, because humanly we, we fail of that, right? We have a hard time discerning. We look at our own family members and we think we know where they're coming from. And then all of a sudden we're surprised, right? We look at our closest friends. I know that guy. And then something happens, right? So we get muddled often. And it's one of Satan's great joys is to muddle things up. But when John writes about this and the truth of the gospel and what it is, it's Christ's life and reality. It's what he did in, the, in that whole time he was on the earth that gives them the authority and the, even the ability to make these statements and not be crazy, right? Mm-hmm. I was um, reading through this and meditating on it, and one of the passages that really kind of just little almost throwaway phrase that stuck out to me said that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Mm-hmm. And that's that's both comforting and a little bit terrifying. Oh, yeah. You know, um, I remember in, in, I think it's in Hebrews, which we're not supposed to read if we're Christians, uh, apparently. no attention to that. But as I was reading through that, it hit me... Um, you know, the author of Hebrews makes the point that the, the the high priests were able to show compassion because they themselves were likewise beset with infirmities. And we, we kind of like that because we know yep. if I screw up, at least the guy above me, he's not perfect either. You know, he's not perfect either. And then you get to God and it's there is there is no darkness. Um, and that's, that, again, that's both comforting. You know, it's God, hopeful and terrible. It's yeah. hopeful and terrible. Because <laughs> I realize, you know, God's not going to, God's not going to turn a blind eye. God's not going to ignore this. Like, God's not going to let this slide. There is no darkness in him. And and John didn't have to say that. He could just say God is light. But he went he went the extra mile and he said, in him there is no darkness. It's like James saying that God cannot be tempted with evil and he doesn't tempt any man. Like, he is just totally incomplete. That is not him at all. If you're if you're getting any of that, it's not from him. Yeah. And, um yeah, it's it's both beautiful and, and terrifying at the same time. Well, it's it's hopeful because because if if somebody's right, then there's mm. hope that that could spread, or somebody you know, that that person who's right could save the other. And this is something that that Milton brought out in Paradise Lost about Adam when he sees Eve fallen, he says, "Ah, but she was made for me. I need to go with her." Right. So he wasn't deceived. The Bible makes that clear. John mm-hmm. Milton kind of embellishes the story a little bit, but the choice is interesting because. If somebody stays right, C.S. Lewis points this out in Paralandra, if somebody point, say, stays right, then there's hope for the other to be brought back. That's why we had to have, in God's great plan, we have the Lamb of God, the right one, right, who never messed up and therefore can bring us all back. But Adam makes a choice, okay, there's Eve over there, and I'm going to go that way now. Mm-hmm. And, and so we all suffer because yeah, of that. Yeah, I mean, John pulls that out in chapter 2, verse 1. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. So righteous. If you want, I will include a bibliography of the literature <laughs> that Matt Barfield would recommend for you and your families at the bottom. We got a Paralandria and a Paradise, Paradise Lost, Lost sure. quote in the same go. sentence. Wow, That's arguing great. against each other <laughs> in his argument. No, no, they're, they're together. They're together. <laughs> so as we continue thinking through these themes, another one that we look at is a believer's enemies. And I, I find this an interesting one because, again, we're dealing with second-generation Christians. And, it, you know, I think sometimes— uh, there was a quote from a movie once where a character says, victory has defeated you. Mm. Um, and the antagonist says that to the protagonist. And the point there is, your success has made you soft. It's, it's taken away your hunger and your zeal. And because of that, you're now weak, and I'm, I'm going to be able to defeat you. Your victory has defeated you. And 
there's a sense, I think, in which the church is always in, in that danger that as second and third generation Christians, we lose sight of the dangers that are out there. We lose that hunger, that first generation zeal. And it's just kind of, you know, we look around at all the blessings that, that those who've gone before us have won for us. And we think to ourselves, well, yeah, this is, this is pretty nice. I mean, it's, um, and as we go through first John, one of the interesting things is that John is constantly highlighting the dangers and the enemies uh, that they will face. So we see, we've talked about this before, false teachers. We've talked uh, just briefly about the world, and we'll talk about the world more in the series. And, uh, and then there's also uh, the foe of Satan. And he's, um, uh, you know, Satan uh, makes several appearances, the wicked one he's called. But this idea that there's supernatural powers behind the rebellion uh, that we see in the world, that there is a world that's set against us and that's our enemy. It's not someone we want to cozy up to and that there are false teachers. And I think a lot of Christians, especially second and third generation Christians, they don't see those dangers out there. Um, so I guess trying to think of a, a good way to just kind of ask a summary question about all of that. Which of those three do you think is most dangerous? Well, they're all dangerous. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Any any thoughts on any of that? I think I think the way forward for a Christian who doesn't doesn't have that first generation experience is to is to rely on uh, to, to understand that the, the, what the Lord did in that first generation isn't the whole story. There's there's another chapter to write. So we're supposed to go further. We're supposed to accomplish more. And then at the same time, that the things that, that did that the the initiating the inciting action, the thing that made the change in that person's life, that's not supposed to change in my life. So there's something that we hold. And then there's something that we move forward into. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we feel like we get back to that. And I said at the beginning that maintain mode, right? So I, I got what they had. Well, that's not, that's never going to be enough. Not if we're going to stay right. right. If we're going to stay right, we have to both have what it is and then move forward into the next thing God has planned for us. Well, that's burying our talent. And that's, that's the point right. Christ made, yeah. you know, I don't want to lose this, so I'm not going to risk anything. So I'm no risk. And we're just going to kind of hold on to it. You've lost it. And you, you you've gone. lost it. And mm-hmm. you know, you say, well, I was, I was afraid, uh, you know, I, I knew that you were a severe master. And the master says, then you should have known that I, I didn't want you to just hold on to this. That's not using my resources well. You got to add, you dummy. <laughs> he did with of, his inflection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last theme that we'll look at here is this theme of certain knowledge. John talks about this a lot. He says, and you can just even take a, a, a pen or a pencil and, or a highlighter and go through your bi- uh, Bible and go through First John. And all the times it says, that ye may know. By this we know. We know that. Um, we know that we know him. By this we know that we know him. By this we know that we are in him. By this we know that his love is in us. Like, John is is constantly trying to bring a certainty to his readers and listeners. And I think that goes back to this idea of Satan muddling thing. And sometimes, second-generation Christians, sometimes there's a muddling that happens. And you get false teaching, and you get the allure of the world, and there's confusion. And John says, I want you... Um, to be certain about what is right and what is wrong and how you know that you know that you're right with God. Um, so what are, as we kind of wrap this up, what are some things that can cause confusion in our churches today and how do we go about addressing those areas of confusion? I think it was really helpful when pastor did the, the recent study on our core, you know, what's at the core of our worship, what's at the core of our uh, understanding. And it's, it's very helpful to, to go back and say, uh, this is the thing that we are. This is our DNA. Uh, what was it? Distinguishing non-negotiable attributes, or what did he wow. say? Yeah, I think that was anyway. It. Something well, like that. I wasn't there. I was teaching a different uh, Sunday okay. school All class. Right. I was, okay. All right. Well, anyway, uh, these are these are things that are us, and I think it's it is 
if we don't have that recollection and are able to use those things, then it's easy to get astray quickly. And I think even as I was thinking, I was just thinking as you were talking, um, he, he really is laying out identifying markers of a true follower of Christ and what that's going to look like and the results in your life. Um, and so there is sometimes confusion about what a, a true follower of Christ looks like and the identifying markers of that. And even what, what Matt was just mentioning. Um, so how can we go about addressing those areas of confusion? Uh, again, the word of God and teaching the word of God and going back to the basics and going back to who Jesus was. And that's what John, John is doing. These things we've seen, we've heard, we're going to declare them to you. And uh, going back to Christ as the ultimate identifying factor, who he is yeah, and Amen. what he looked like and how he talked to people and interacted with people and what he taught. Well, and when there's confusion, especially about areas of salvation, one of the things that I've told people, and I've heard many others tell people, go read First John yep. for that very reason. Hey, I, I don't really know. You know, I prayed a prayer when I was young, and I'm just not really. Hey, read First John. Make a list of the things in First John that are characteristics of people who, are, who, who know God, who are saved, and whom the love of God have been perfected. He uses a lot of different synonyms to say people who know God, people who are saved, and then start start comparing that to your life. Um, and I've heard, I've heard many people give that advice. I think it's great advice because I think that's what John's trying to do. John's trying to give us that teaching that says, okay, look, you're confused. You're not sure. You're muddled. Your parents believe this. You don't know if you believe this. Here's how you know. Here's what it mm-hmm. looks like. Um, uh, that's very helpful because I've, I'm kind of going out on a limb here. I know I never do that. And so I hope you guys don't. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> One time I was in the Middle East. And, uh... <laughs> I found you know, in ministry over the last 20 years that people in churches are really good at cutting each other's slack. And, you know, we, we, we tend to think well of people, even in the face of evidence to the opposite. Mm. Uh, and we do that not because we are necessarily caring for that other, but because we want to think well of ourselves. And so, hey, I think you're good. So that means I'm good. You know, we're all good together. And that's, that's an easy thing to get into. And these dichotomies that you pointed out, just pop that bubble. It doesn't mm-hmm. work anymore if you say, well, wait a second, I'm kind of confused what's going on here. Let's go back to light and dark. Is this light or just dark? Okay, this is dark. <laughs> I need to be honest about this. And I think that helps us. We, we do need to be kind one to another. We need to be you know, kindly dispositioned to each other and not think ill of each other, of course. But we also don't, we're not helping the body. We're not helping each other. When I see you do something and I go, yeah, but you're fine because we're all fine. Yeah. Well, I think connecting that to my parenting, sometimes there's things I see in my children that I don't really want to deal with because I know that I'm going to have to deal with something in my own life. I and they're an emulating something that I've been doing you know, we <laughs> at have this, home. We have this board here with all the sound effects. I need an exasperated sigh button. Uh, <laughs> that's just recording. And sometimes we don't want to deal with the beam in our eye. Yeah, true. Um, it's very true. When we see it in other people. Well, and I think going back to you know what Matt said, not cutting each other slack, when someone comes to you, you, you know, the temptation as a pastor is to always be reassuring. And someone comes to me and says, I don't know, I'm saved. And to say, oh, you know, I've seen you, da, 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 and you start giving off the list of reasons. When really the question ought to be, oh, well, why is that? Why do you think you're not saved? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you find out that they're like, well, I've just never really enjoyed being in church, and I've done it because I wanted to fit in, but I don't really even know what I believe. And, you know, you start going, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know that you're saved either. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I made my life easier not to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and and instead of, hey, here's here's First John. Go read through First John. 
look at those lists and, and realize nobody bats a thousand on these. Like, like there's, you know, do you love the brothers? Well, of course there's going to be people that annoy you. Like that's, that's natural. That's human. But do you, do you find that there's a love for believers? Do you find a desire to do right? And, and, and make that list and then just prayerfully go through that list. And I, you know, I think that's a much more helpful exercise than just mm-hmm. that's loving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And loving and cutting slack are not the same thing. Mm. And we need to be primed. And we're going to see that in first John. We'll be primed to love each other, not to cut each other slack. They're very different. Well, well going to an anecdote, sorry to cut <laughs> you off. Um, there was one, one young man that came to me saying, I, I'm not sure of my salvation. And we just went through first John. And about the end I said, so do you believe you're saved? No. And got saved that day. And I saw change life. Amen. Um, and that no. that's the power of the Bible. And it would not have been kind of me to say, I, I think you're a good kid. Yeah. Um, give him any sense Which you of probably do. Assurance. I mean, you probably, you probably did think he was a good kid. I thought he was a good yeah, kid. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he wasn't overtly. You weren't being cruel no. to say, hey, that's really exciting. You were being loving. And that's that takes work. It takes effort. It takes some some thought. You know, going back to the idea of love, not letting, not cutting slack. The, the themes, especially in Second and Third John, of truth and love yeah. come up over and over again. Truth and love and truth and love. And we, in our minds, kind of set those up as opposites. Yeah. So if I'm going to be truthful with someone, I'm going to be like, yes, that dress does make you look fat. And you're like, okay, well, that's not very loving. But it was the truth. <laughs> or we think the other, you know, on the other extreme is, oh, no, you, you look wonderful. You know, and you're like, well, that wasn't true. No, but it, it was loving. You know, and that's kind of a silly, ridiculous, over-the-top example but we do, we, we, we pit these two against each other that I'm either truthful or I'm loving. And, you know, Jesus came and he was full of grace and truth. He was full of love and truth. And we don't have to sacrifice one for the other. And for us, that feels like there's tension and it's a balancing act. From God's perspective, there's, there's no conflict at all. There's love and there's truth. And you've got to have both or you don't have either. There you go. And so on that note, I think we'll go ahead and wrap things up um, for our second lesson in the series. We're going to be studying 1 John 1, 1 through 2, 6. So that's going to be this upcoming Sunday. That's about 16 verses. And as you study that passage, if you want to do that, here are a couple of questions to keep in mind. Uh, why do you think that John starts this letter the way he does? By emphasizing his own personal involvement and by using this phrase, the beginning. A uh, second question you could be thinking through as you read this, what is the difference between walking in darkness and sinning? Since walking in darkness means that you have no fellowship with God, but if you say that you have no sin, you're a liar. How do we reconcile those two statements? And what does John say are necess- is necessary in order for you to be keeping God's commandments? What ideas does he connect with the keeping of God's commands, especially there in the last three verses of that section? So it'll be 1 John 1, 1 through 1 John 2, 6. Those are really good questions. Oh, thank you. I can't wait to see the answers that I, people have. It should be good. Come up and tell us your answers to those questions. That's right. On Sunday. Email us. At, <laughs> um, we're going to be discussing these issues and more next week on the Colonial Hills Podcast. We'll see you then. See you. Bye. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.